Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 7, verses 17 through 36. Stephen had been arrested and had been giving his defense to the Sanhedrin. The charges were basically that he spoke against Moses, God, the tabernacle, along with the false accusation that Jesus would rebuild the temple in three days. His defense has already laid a foundation beginning with Abraham, the father of their faith. He pointed out that God had made a covenant with Abraham and and his descendants long before the law was given, along with the covenant of circumcision and all this was instituted centuries before the tabernacle and the law was established in the land. Stephen then brought up the patriarch Joseph, reviewing his life history in order to make a point. He discussed how Joseph was initially rejected by his brothers, so much so that they sold him into slavery in order to get rid of him forever. However, God was with Joseph. And after many years of suffering, God gave him favor and wisdom. Pharaoh eventually raised him up and made him governor in all the land of Egypt. And when the time came to be reunited with his brothers, after many long years, his brothers accepted him and honored him. So we continue with Stephen's defense for today's lesson and So let us now turn to Acts chapter 7, verses 17 through 36. The Word of God reads this way. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, until another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people, and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, and they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did this neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, 
An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. The story of Moses' life is fascinating. Stephen gives us insights that are not commonly seen by reading the Old Testament passages. Stephen began this section by pointing out that the time of the promise drew near which God had sworn to Abraham. If you will remember, on the day that God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, he also revealed that they would be oppressed for 400 years. Stephen had already talked about this in verse 6 in this chapter. Let's, let's read that again, beginning with verse 5. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Now, for purposes of clarification, let's go back and read exactly what God said to Abraham. We'll find this in Genesis chapter 15. So I'll begin reading with verse 13 of that chapter. Then God said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions, now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. 
the Kenites, the land of the Kenites, Kazanites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So, in our passage today, in verse 17, Stephen recounts that when the time had drawn near, God began to move to deliver his people out of their bondage and oppression. Now, I want to make a point here, and it is this. God was and is in total control. He's always working out his plan and his purposes, and he's still working for the deliverance of his people today. In fact, it says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. As the Bible says, at just the right time in world history, Jesus was born. He came to earth to redeem us from sin, and aren't we thankful? And just as he came in the fullness of time for his first coming, so also at just the right time in world history, Jesus will come again to establish his kingdom when all the promises of God will reach their ultimate fulfillment. And I think that will be a wonderful day. But getting back to Stephen's defense, he presented a thorough over overview of Moses' life and he divides it into three 40-year sections. For the first 40 years of Moses' life, he lived as the adopted son of Pharaoh. This means that he had the finest education that was available in his day. Being a son of Pharaoh, he learned how to rule a nation, how government works and leadership skills. He learned about laws and judicial decisions. Stephen points out that Moses was mighty in words and deeds. This means he was a powerful speaker and communicator. After 40 years, living as Pharaoh's adopted son, Moses decided to visit his brethren. That tells me that he always knew and understood his origins, his heritage, and he even knew about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he was convinced that God had saved his life and raised him up to be the deliverer of God's people. We know this by reading verse 25, which says, For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, and they did not understand. Yes, it is true that God would use him to deliver the Israelites from the bondage in Egypt. But the time had not yet come. And with God, timing is everything. This is an important lesson for us to remember. 
You may have come to understand that God has called you to serve Him in a specific ministry or a work, and maybe even for such a time as this, as it says in the book of Esther, but the calling and the timing are sometimes two different things. You remember that when God made a covenant promise to Abraham that God was giving him the land, the sons and descendants, among whom would be kings, and it was as good as done from God's perspective. But at the time the covenant was made, Abraham did not have a son and did not own one square inch of land. And when he died, the only land he owned was a cave where he had buried his wife, Sarah. God had also revealed that before the land would belong to his descendants, before there would be any kings, there would be 400 years of suffering, bondage, and oppression. Someone once observed Stephen's review of Moses' life, early life, shows how God prepares his people for future service. Though Moses was cruelly taken from his family, his privileged Egyptian upbringing provided him with the practical training and cross-cultural insights he would need later in life when it came time to lead the Jews to the promised land. Because God is sovereign, nothing about our lives is ever accidental. Nothing is ever wasted. Trust God to take up your hard times, educational opportunities, and life experience, and weave them together to equip you to be effective for his kingdom. I think that is well said. And I also think that this is, in part, what Paul was trying to communicate in Romans chapter 8 when he wrote, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So also for Moses. When he tried to take matters into his own hands by killing an Egyptian in order to save a Hebrew slave, this was something that he could not hide, and he ran for his life. He ended up in the land of Midian where he met a man by the name of Jethro. Jethro took him in and Moses ended up marrying one of his daughters, Zipporah. Moses would eventually have two sons from that marriage and for the next 40 years his life would be that of the shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep. These 40 years were very important as they taught Moses three things. First, how to be a shepherd. In scripture, people are often referred to as sheep because we are stubborn, helpless, and wayward. We need a shepherd to watch over us, help us, to minister healing ointments to our wounds and scratches and bruises of life. And we need the shepherd to protect us from the predators that are all around us. 
That is why Jesus is referred to as being the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and our shepherd. Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. I think this is also why the 23rd Psalm is probably one of the most popular chapters in the entire Bible. Listen to this beautiful psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So, getting back to our passage today, Moses learned how to be a shepherd of men. He also learned the way of the desert, wilderness. He spent 40 years learning where to find water and food for the sheep. There are things about the wilderness that can only be learned while in the wilderness. It is a quiet and lonely place. But it is in the quiet that we hear the voice of God. The third thing that Moses learned was humility. Now remember, he had been raised as the son of Pharaoh. Men had bowed down to him and obeyed his smallest command. He ruled over the people. He was educated, knowledgeable, and powerful in word and deed. But then when he ran to Midian, well, hmm, he lost everything. No longer was he a man of power, position, and wealth. Now he was the servant of his father-in-law, shepherding Jethro's sheep. Moses had to be broken to be used by God for the great task God was calling him to. He had to be stripped of his own self-worth in order to listen to and obey the commands of God. The work God was calling him to do was huge. 
because not only would he be the one to deliver the Israelites out of the land of bondage, but he would also govern them and rule over them for the next 40 years, giving to them government, which is known as the law. He would guide them through their wilderness wanderings until the time would come for God to lead this new nation into the land he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, nothing is ever wasted when it is put into the hands of God. I love what the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, and which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you know that God has created you for a specific work for his kingdom and his glory? God is working in your life even now to fulfill that good work he has prepared for you. Be open to his leading in your life and follow him even as a lamb will follow the shepherd. And I guarantee you that you will be amazed at what the Lord will do in and through you. Well, for Moses, after 40 years as a shepherd, Moses was at the far side of the desert and he saw a bush burning, but it was not consumed. The voice of God spoke to him out of that bush and with a command to return to Egypt and deliver God's people out of Egypt. So Moses obeyed the call of God. He returned to Egypt and led the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, out of their bondage toward the land of promise. Let's read Acts chapter 7, verses 35 through 36 again. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? Is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and and in the wilderness 40 years. Yes, just like with Joseph's story, the same Moses whom the Israelites had rejected as their ruler and judge was now appointed their ruler and deliverer by God himself. So what is the point that Stephen is making here? Well, in our next lesson, we will be able to come to the heart of the matter, but for now, let me draw from Warren Wearsby's remarks on this passage. He writes, Joseph and Moses, they were both rejected as deliverers the first time, but were accepted the second time. These two illustrate how Israel treated Jesus Christ. Israel rejected their Messiah when he came to them the first time, but when he comes again, they will recognize him and receive him. In spite of what they did to his son, God has not cast away his people. Another writer makes this observation. So much of what God had revealed 
so many of the miracles God had performed would help God's people recognize the coming Messiah. God wanted his people to be ready to recognize and receive the ultimate deliverer who is our Lord Jesus Christ. It was Israel's stubborn, Holy Spirit resisting refusal to recognize the leading of God that got them excluded from experiencing his blessing in the land. This should be a warning to you and me. I'm reminded of what the Bible says in Hebrews 3 when speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So I ask you the question today, what is the condition of your heart? Are you stubbornly resisting the call of Jesus? come to him so that he might be your shepherd? Have you become complacent in your faith, lazy, or just a little bit too comfortable, not seeking God with all of your heart, not loving him with all of your strength? Are you hesitant to obey his call to be his chosen servant for the work he has prepared for you? Let me say to you today, do not be afraid. God is with you. Listen to this word from the Lord out of Isaiah 41. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend, 
you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions, and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, we can put our own name there. If Jesus is our Lord and Savior, if we've cried out to him, we can put our own name there and hear God saying, but you, Jane, but you, what is your name? But you, whom I've chosen, you whom I've called from the ends of the earth, I've chosen you and not cast you away. Fear not, fear not, Jane, for I'm with you. Fear not, my dear friend, for our God says, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not turn away in unbelief, my dear friend. Turn to him. Take his hand and walk with him. You will never regret it. Thank you, O oh God, for this wonderful promise that we have through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who truly is our God, our Savior, our shepherd, and even by your grace, our friend. We thank you for your kind invitation. We thank you for your promise to never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for this calling that you've placed upon our lives. We thank you that you have created us for a reason and a purpose that that is special just for us. There's a work that you have prepared for us to do and, there, and that for that work you have prepared us for. We thank you, O oh God, for the honor of this calling. And I pray, O oh God, that we will embrace that calling, that we will rise up and say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. I will do what you ask me to do. I will say what you ask me to say. I will trust you and obey. O oh Lord God, refresh us with the power of your Holy Spirit that we might be your faithful servants in this day in which we live to the people that you bring to us. May we be found faithful on that day so that we might hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into your master's joy. 
We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, until next time, my friend, I invite you to draw near to God and to listen. And as you do, may you be surprised by joy. God bless you, my friend. <laughs>